the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today, empowered on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner from the two-man power trip, the one and only JP John Paz. And on this show, we are joined by our co-host, the third man of the Triple Threat, the man behind the Triple Threat, Pittsburgh's favorite son, the one and only franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, I got a little bit of Pittsburgh trivia for you to kick off today's episode. Sweet. Let's see if, let's see if the franchise <laughs> is awake enough to nail it. <laughs> now, you always talk about how you want the official triple threat emoji to come out, yep. you know, and, and hit the Twitterverse. You know, we, we, we all use the AOK now. That's the closest we're going to get. But it's, you know, it's really the AOK. Um, yep. Did you know this is more more this is more just giving you the trivia more than you answering it? Did you know that the first internet emoticon came from the city of Pittsburgh? Did you know this? I'm I'm pretty sure. Let me see if I if I have this right. Uh, that that was created at Carnegie Mellon, correct? You are exactly right. I am still awake at three a.m. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I. I I, I, if you would have asked me straight out, I, I, it would have been in there someplace. Uh, but, you know, it's astounding the amount of useless information I have shoved into this brain. Completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> not good for anything. Things like that. Like, I'm aware of that. The smiley emoticon was the first internet emoji or emoticon created by the Carnegie Mellon University computer scientist Scott Falman. So, Mr. Falman, we thank you very much for coming up with the uh, the smiley emoticon at the Carnegie Mellon University. How about that franchise? Just one more reason to prove that Pittsburgh is the center of the universe. <laughs> the, no, the known universe. Well, we're not sure about the, the unknown universe, but of the, of the known universe, it's now a scientifically provable fact 
Pittsburgh is the center of the known universe. Yes, I've been doing my Pittsburgh trivia uh, research. So uh, I'm going to try to hit you <laughs> with some Pittsburgh trivia. There's some pretty interesting shit that's happened in the uh, the city of Pittsburgh. And uh, I'll be digging into this little bag uh, every so often. But uh, how was your weekend out there traveling the roads, doing your thing? Uh, didn't see any uh, major uh, sh- franchise chicanery going on over the weekend. But what was going on in the uh, the wrestling world this weekend, franchise? Well, we had a good weekend, actually. Uh, but we were in schools uh, by with shows that were uh, supporting schools. And so they were... A little bit nervous about the franchise getting the microphone. I have no fucking idea why. I mean, it's just what the hell, Jesus Christ! I mean, they, you know, you, can't, you go to a school and there's kids. Here's, you know, I, I say that jokingly, but I will say this as an absolute shoot. If you've ever heard a seventh, eighth, or ninth grade kid on the street in the school hallways, whatever, that's actually where I learned to cuss so goddamn proficiently. Uh, they are they're the best cussers in the world. They 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 will use it uh, in a with a dynamism that is astounding. Uh, I remember, and the whole time I kept thinking that, and, and I was telling the prince of the uh, vice principal of the the school that, and he was laughing nervously, laughing in, in agreement. Uh, was that my tenth grade English teacher, <laughs> Mrs. Dorothy Fatula? Uh, who made me read, incidentally, George Orwell's 1984, uh, used to have a sign up on her, over her blackboard that said, profanity is the sign of a mental cripple. Fucking bitch. <laughs> no, no, she, she, she was a great teacher. And I, I always remember, you know, always stuck in my head. Uh, so, you know, I, I always tell people it's, uh, it may be, uh, you know, uh, like one of those shocking points when you get to realize this. But Shane Douglas is capable of speaking a sentence and not cussing, not swearing, not using any kind of uh, malapropisms in his language if he fucking has to. Oh, shit, <laughs> fucked up at the end there, goddamn motherfucker. Yeah. You know what I think it is, I, Shane? I think that it's the music that's the trigger for you because it seems like every time the music <laughs> is playing, that's when the cursing starts to come out in full force. Remember the old, uh, the younger people who watch, listen to this will never uh, get this, but the old Warner Brothers cartoon when they had the uh, the boxing, uh, the little bird that boxed, it was like a little hawk or something, and then <laughs> yeah. you hear a bell, he was, every time we hear a bell, he'd start, start <laughs> boxing in the air, right? Uh, it's uh, the franchise here is uh, triple, uh, the uh, Deep Purple, and it's, it's oh, God damn motherfucking son of a bitch. It's, it's like, uh, uh, what's the... Uh, uh, I'll pop my MT there now, 3 a.m. Uh, the when people, the, the, uh, Tourette's, you yeah, know, where, where somebody just, you know suddenly always blurts out that there was a there was a guy that used to, uh, when I was teaching, a, a, a young man that, that had that. It was sad, but you know, it was also pretty comical you know, <laughs> at the most inappropriate time. He would come off with a blazer, man. <laughs> Just take somebody's eyebrows off. You know, you couldn't really say anything. Phenomenal. They, I don't know if you remember this, but around 2003, they had Dustin Rhodes as Goldust do a Tourette's gimmick where <laughs> he was thrown into an, like an, an electrical beam 
by uh, Randy Orton and Batista, and he ended up having Tourette's. And he had, he got on Howard Stern doing the Tourette's character because Stern was loving it, and he would play the clips all the time. But it was just <laughs> basically an excuse to have Goldust go ooh 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 every. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It would never fly today. But holy shit, was that uh, that was hilarious. Uh, most of comedy today doesn't fly today. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we could, I could just dive into it. We could wait for the uh, for it to come up with the topic. But did you see the big announcement for WrestleMania? Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't. I am, like, I'm excited for WrestleMania for the first time since forever. Uh, <laughs> honest to God, I mean, they're going to have two Saturday Night Live idiots on. <laughs> How can this go wrong? And it ain't even like it ain't even like two of the stars of Saturday Night Live. It's like the two jobbers, the two Saturday Night Live jobbers are going to be on. <laughs> I think that nobody's told Vince that Saturday Night Live destroys Donald Trump on a weekly basis. You know, the guy that technically his wife works for. I don't think that he's been smartened up to the fact that Saturday Night Live, and most specifically the guys that host Weekend Update, literally kill. WWE Hall of Famer President Donald Trump on a weekly basis. Uh, I mean, seriously, it. it I think okay, yes, and and it's funny as hell that you emailed us that thing this morning. I was going to text you that the other night when I first saw it, but uh, I think it's better that you found it on, on your own <laughs> because I would have loved to have seen the uh, the the instant reaction to what you thought about that. But even like from the grand scheme of wrestling, okay, they're going to put. 225 pound guys in a battle royal named after Andre the Giant. What the hell did Braun Strowman do to WWE creative and management that this poor guy is a monster and he's just riddled with stupid shit every year? First, it was a 10 year old kid as his tag team partner. Yeah. Now he's feuding with Saturday Night Live weekend update anchors. Yeah, but see, that is. You gotta like follow along with a bouncing ball here. I mean, you know, Vince and, and uh, President Trump are sort of close, right? Uh, food for thought: Is he gonna get these two idiots in a battle royal with a big monster like Braun Strowman? And God knows how. <laughs> I mean, everybody in the WWE, Ronda Rousey's bigger than them, so <laughs> you know, it's, they're all gonna be in the. These two idiots are gonna willingly walk out to the ring. With all these monsters around them, maybe you think there might be a tater or a thumb up the ass here or there. It's uh, that could be one of the more interesting matches to watch. This could be President Trump getting a little bit of receipt, uh, receipt action going on. <laughs> now, JP, I don't think that you're a usual uh, viewer of Saturday Night Live in 2019 because last time I checked, it's not you know, 1997 or 1996, and there's no real talent on the show anymore. But uh, seeing two Weekend Update guys taking a spot in Andre the Giant's Battle Royal, uh, do you think from the wrestling historian perspective that we'll be talking about this in uh, not not even five years, next year, we're going to even remember that these guys were in this Battle Royal? No, I feel like every year with WrestleMania when they're trying to get that publicity, especially SNL's in New York, and they're trying to pretend WrestleMania is in New York, even though it's really in New Jersey. Yeah, they they always bring out the celebrities, and then you always forget, basically, a few weeks later, especially a couple years later, you completely forget 
who the hell the celebrity was, what they were doing, what they were, you know, responsible for. And it's always some goofy thing. It's always some bad thing. But I think you did bring up a good point. What did Braun Strowman do? Not those two guys from SNL, Joe and Che. It's like, okay, you know, they're trying to for publicity, whatever, you know. All right, you know, it's kind of silly. It's kind of stupid, whatever. But what did Strowman do to get in this spot? This is almost like that big show spot where what the hell the big show do all those years he always got those stupid celebrity moments except for the floyd mayweather match but um he got those stupid kind of celebrity moments what did stroman do what kind of heat did he create for himself what did he do backstage to get thrown into this match he probably probably ain't one of hunter's uh quest boards or something <laughs> <laughs> he's uh he's on the real shit list now brother it's uh we're gonna put you in the ring with Saturday Night Live guys, <laughs> and you know it's not even like Saturday Night Live is good anymore. Remember, like like you said back in the nineties, eighties, even the, you know especially the seventies when it used to be just freaking hilarious every weekend. <laughs> now it's like it's, it's almost as bad as watching Cool Bear or somebody else on a nightly basis. Just it's absurd. It's funny. But, but you said there's you said there's no talent in there. Come on, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> you know, he, he, he almost single-handedly took over the talk show format. Have you heard his talks clips from his his short-lived talk show? If you haven't, it's well worth the time because it is classic. <laughs> I'm going to go close to the microphone on this one. I plead the fifth on that one. I can't. Uh, I cannot comment. <laughs> so, mo- moving on. But yeah, funny about weekend update. I was actually I was watching some Norm McDonald clips today. From Weekend Update, because this guy, I mean, literally, I know Chevy Chase, the, you know, the basically set the bar for what Weekend Update was. And then every, pretty much everybody thereafter, you got your Dennis Millers, your Kevin Nealons. Excuse me, my voice is going in and out. But Norm McDonald, like, changed what that position was. <clears throat> and I don't care how many times I could watch the same clip over and over. When he looks deadpan at the camera when O.J. Simpson yeah. was uh, exonerated of the charges of murder, and he looks deadpan at the camera and he goes, well, it's official. Murder is now legal in the state of California. <laughs> it's still funny 24 years later. So, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, you know, and I again, nothing against uh, Che and, and Jost, but I don't think we're going to be talking about them having those kinds of lines 24 years down the road. Yeah, probably not. It's... <laughs> I can't imagine it. Yeah, I mean, you know, go back and look at any of those. You know, everything John Belushi did on that show, everything was side-splitting funny. Uh, Gilda Rad was incredibly funny. Uh, even, like, the straight rules that, like, uh, uh, what was her name? Lorraine Newman and Jane Curtin used to play. Uh, but, you know, Dan Ackward, and he said it every week uh, on, on the weekend update, uh, Jane, ignorant slut. <laughs> you know, you couldn't get away with it. But it was just hilarious the way that we, you, know, you waited for because you knew it was coming. And there would be. Uh, but you're right. There were, you know, over the years, Eddie Murphy and, and uh, uh, oh, Joe, uh, Joe's. Uh, Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. There you go. Uh, I mean, these guys were hilarious. And they, they you know, became like. Uh, you know, things that were said uh, on that show by all of those comedians became part of the, 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 the national vernacular, you know, because it was so funny. I don't recall hearing anything like that come out of Saturday Night Live in quite a while. Um, you know, politics is funny. 
when you take a shot here and there. And, and Saturday Night Live, let's be fair, has, has always done that. Uh, but to just make it a constant, you know, all Trump bashing all the time, it sort of gets, it's, it, I, you know, it's just not funny. You know, it, it's like do it once in a while and it's cutting edge and it's topical. Uh, but you turn on, oh, here's here's something you don't ever see on Saturday Live. They're ripping Trump again. You know, <laughs> it's all they do. And it's it's just, you know, I mean, let's face it. Anytime you go to the same joke too often, uh, it becomes less and less funny. It becomes almost pathetic at, at a certain point. And, you know, I mean, let's face it. There's some pretty good stuff they can, you know, they could use to, if they did it, you know, as should be done, uh, as Saturday Live used to do. Uh, Trump, Trump's good fodder, right? I mean, there's some good stuff there, but just you know, everything, you know, it's almost like the you know the all Trump network, the all Trump bashing network all the time. Uh, you know, it's and look at the viewership numbers. You know, it's. Uh, uh, and we talked a little bit about them before we came on the air. When you, you're looking at some of the uh, the ratings across the cable news, man, it's a nosedive. And did something big happen recently that, that would that would be making all these uh, ratings dive like that? I think our our telephones. I think that we've got this stuff sitting in our hands now. We don't have to wait and see anything in a two hour format. Why do we have to sit through Saturday Night Live? When Sunday morning at six o'clock in the morning, I can watch the best minute and thirty-five seconds of it in a Twitter <laughs> post. What do I have to invest that time? If somebody says, "Oh my God, you have to see the musical performance that was on Saturday Night Live," I'm like, "All right, well, I'll just go on YouTube, watch the musical performance, and now I didn't have to sit through you know ninety minutes of not funny, you know." Uh, and that's no political slight. I'm just saying it's not funny. I don't get that kind of humor anymore. It's uh, it, it's just it's the way we consume media. It's completely different. It's it's uh, it's an ever changing world. What can we say? We're just living in it. Uh, amen to that, brother. <laughs> now live and let die. <laughs> Good, <not done. laughs> so Paul McCartney. It, but but just to close it out with Braun Strowman. If you remember last year when we were talking about Strowman and the uh, and the little kid that won the tag team yeah. championships last year, we almost talked about it in like a general depression. The three of us being like, man, like wow, like this is crazy how far this has gone, and like this is just like what a joke and this and that. And now we're sitting here laughing our asses off <laughs> that they're bringing in two literal comedians who that's a loose term and uh yeah. you know these these kids these guys might weigh less than the kid does getting in the ring here with uh you know i guess 18 or 19 other wwe guys that look at how hard some of these guys had to fight to get into this battle royal spot where i'm sure the payoffs are not what they used to be when it was on pay-per-view and now they got to share the ring and probably step off to the side for these two guys to get the shine for a, a couple minutes with braun Oh, I'm sure, but you know, it also could be a good place to bring back the now 11 year old to whoop their ass <laughs> at the end of the segment. See, we could we could play this this sports entertainment game all night long. Uh, it's you know, sports entertainment is the equivalent in our business as to modern day Saturday Night Live is the comedy. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. I just you know, everybody's aware of my my general feelings about sports entertainment. And when I look at that dressing room and I see, you know, some of the level of talent that they have there, and 
you know, the, the creative person to me keeps saying, my God, I'd love to get my hands on those people. And what you could do and what you could create out of those, uh, those talents uh, showcased the proper way. You know, Paul Hammond made a, uh, an, an incredible mark on the industry with ECW by doing a very simple and, and long tradition in professional wrestling. If you can't talk, if you're not good on the stick, don't put the microphone in your hand. Put a manager with them. Uh, in other words, you conceal their weaknesses and you augment their strengths. Now, tell me who they're doing that with. Two, uh, two three weeks ago, and I was, <laughs> the last time, probably three years that I would watch Raw, uh, when my son and I were at Dominic's, and uh, Stephanie comes to the ring, and she's already noticeably taller than Ronda Rousey and she's got like four or five inch heels on. So now she's towering over Ronda. I don't know if it's a rib on Ronda. If it's just stupid by Stephanie, I wouldn't think she's a stupid person. But you, you look at that segment watching on the screen and you're thinking like, what in the fuck is going on here? Because this is 101 in my industry. And when you, you know, that, that's just one thing. So instead of augmenting her strengths as being the shooter, you know, tough ass woman, you know, one of the biggest celebrities in the sports world of the last 10 years, uh, let's put her in the ring and make her look really, really short next to a girl who's not even a wrestler. Uh, stupid, stupid and pointless. <laughs> um, so they, they, it seems like sports entertainment, i.e. WWE, seem to be doing the exact opposite of what that long tradition of wrestling had always been of augmenting the strengths and negating the weaknesses. They're, they've flipped that around. Now, I guess they might think that's cutting edge. Like, like, I got an idea. Let's, let's put a spotlight on the weaknesses. and Let's, let's erase those damn strengths for everybody because nobody wants those. And that all leads into the, the question I ask everybody. Name the last verifiable money-drawing star that the WWE produced. That's a hell of a question, and uh, I mean, I, I have a potential uh, guess, but I'm going to let the audience uh, take to that and try to get make their own guess because it's not it's you can't make a star anymore when you're trying to put over the brand. But I got to be honest with you, I didn't think we were going to go this far down the uh, <laughs> the the WWE rabbit hole this week. But man, oh man, this is a hot topic when the uh, when the franchise look in in a, in a few weeks span. Checks out Raw for the first time in forever, which again, you know, you got to have that twenty four seven camera on you, and then you know you get to see the uh, the Braun Strowman Saturday Night Live thing. I think we're getting ever so closer to a uh, a group viewing of some sort of live WWE show. Uh, you know, they did pass through Pittsburgh a few weeks back. You did. Uh, you, I guess your invite was lost in the mail, but uh... <laughs> no, it came today. It just came. I, it was there. I got it today. I don't know. You, I think you saw it, but I mean, I made a graphic and posted it on Twitter. Uh, the battle for the Berg, Kurt Angle versus uh, the franchise at WrestleMania, because I mean, again, this is—I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you know, supposedly Kurt Angle's last match is going to be against Baron Corbin, who was once the general manager of uh, Monday Night Raw, but he was also, you know, <clears throat> he's a semi-big guy. You know, he's. Uh, he had a decent spot for a little while, but they phased him out and made him a GM. And Kurt Angle could pick anybody in the business for his final match, quote unquote, at uh, WrestleMania. Oh, there's the quote unquote. There's the drinking game. <laughs> they he could have picked anybody, 
and he picks this Baron Corbin guy. So I made the little graphic for you, the Battle of the Berg, Shane versus Kurt, not realizing that Kurt Angle announced his road to retirement that night in Pittsburgh. Where was the franchise that night? Come on. I told you my band got lost in the mail. It did come. It just came today. Uh, I was, you know, that night I was sitting here. It's really sad to be right now up the road. All my buddies are up there and Mr. McMahon. And, you know, we, we could have finally buried the hatchet, uh, set our peace to each other, become pals and chums and, and gone on. But I don't Do you think they would have done that intentionally? Sent my, Thing later do you think the u.s mails to blame yeah definitely that pony it was the pony express or or <laughs> yeah. ca- it was a carrier pigeon yeah yeah it was you know kind of thing was i did see like big puffs of smoke up in the air the day of the show maybe they were sending it via uh smoke signals and i just i'd lost my translation books it was like cub scouts a long time ago i can't uh, I've, I, some words i can make out fuck you i can get uh it's pretty <laughs> pretty clear and smoke signals, but the come on down to the PPG Arena franchise, that that's a little more convoluted than smoke signals. And maybe if they had a uh, royalty check um, and a baseball bat laying, <laughs> laying on the floor of the uh, the parking garage, then maybe it would have been interesting, but I don't think that was happening. Oh, what do you think, Vince? Man runs a fucking welfare business? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, well, let's get into the main event here for today's show. Now, you dropped a nugget last week while we were talking about the ECW Untold documentary, which people were loving that episode. They were loving the review, uh, loving the fact that you're able to kind of check that out and see uh, what that ECW was all about. A lot of laughs with uh, some of the reaction. But you dropped in there talking about your time when you were working for TNA in talent relations. And, you know, I think between John and myself and all the years, you know, we've been following the business and worked around the business. You know, we've heard it from you and we've kind of heard murmurings, but there's not really much known about your time working in talent relations for TNA during a period where TNA was bringing in some of its best talent and really had the, like, the, basically the, and, and I know it was a TNA uh, event, but the genesis of a great roster that could do a lot of great things, but, you know, kind of not stalled out, but just kind of stayed where they were at in the same, you know, little level playing field. But if you can kind of talk about that time in TNA uh, in talent relations and kind of like how that came about, because again, there's not that much information out there about it. Well, the thing for me that, you know, not that I needed a tutorial on how fucked up TNA was, uh, you know, again, you know, a lot of the the comments that I make about sports entertainment today had their genesis in TNA uh, because, you know, and for instance, Bobby Roode, the, the fans are well aware of my affinity and respect for Bobby. Uh, Bobby's a throwback to me. And when he was part of Team Canada, uh I would sit back in the group position and watch him and, and thought like, this kid has it, you know, he, the instincts, you know, that you, you can teach anybody the moves, uh, timing, much more difficult psychology, even more difficult instincts, impossible. You cannot teach instincts. Bobby Roode, even at that early stage of his career, uh, at that point, early stage, we're talking about 2005, six in that range. Uh, he had the instincts, you know, he, he'd be getting heat on somebody and he would stop and just give that glare out to the audience, you know, where every kid today would say, 
I gotta keep going, I gotta keep machine gun on this guy because I got my opening. Uh, Bobby had those instincts. And, uh, you know, then as, as you work with him more and more, you know, you could see he had, he could talk. Uh, he, he had, you know, all the a- assets that you'd need. Uh, and yet, when they broke him off of Team Canada, uh, using a phrase that I've often attributed to Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, if Vince Man wants to get you over, he'll strap a rocket to your ass. Quote the uh, uh, Stone Cold Evermore. Um, uh, we t- we took, I uh, say we colloquially, uh, in TNA, take Bobby out of Team Canada signifying to the world that he's ready to get the TNA rocket strapped up his ass. <laughs> it's more like the TNA bottle rocket. Uh, because we bring him off, and if you remember, he goes to the, the, the search for manager, right? Bobby Heenan, Sherry Martell, Colonel pa- Tom Parker, you know, all these notables. I think maybe even Jimmy Hart. Uh, I may be wrong on that, but I, I, I mean, there's a long list of very notable uh, managers uh, in wrestling. And then he goes, uh, and, and, you know, they make a big deal about this, and then he picks uh, uh, Tracy Brooks, who I love, sweetheart. But when you've teased the audience, possibly Bobby Heenan, possibly Sherry Martell, or all these other notable names, uh, you know, anybody, anybody you put in that spot is now a big letdown to the audience. That wasn't fair to Tracy. And it certainly did nothing for Bobby as far as elevating him. But then as we broke him off and started his single run, he's out there getting bested by a guy in a chicken costume. And, you know, it's just the stuff like that, that you talk about a missed opportunity. You you only get one chance to make that first impression. And when that's the first impression of a guy who should have been catapulted right to the top of the roster – and been the guy. Uh, instead, we're doing those types of things with him. And again, I'm using we very colloquially because I certainly was not part of those decisions. Um, but as far as the head of talent relations, uh, the way I learned that, uh, this was not a position I applied for, this was not uh, uh, something that had been discussed uh, when Dusty had come in and was put in charge. Uh, we were having a team meeting, and I'm I'm over on the side, you know, looking over my notes for the night and not really half paying attention. And uh, he, Dusty, announced that Shane Douglas was now the head of talent relations. <laughs> and, you know, sort of threw a curveball to me. I didn't know if he was ribbon or, or, or serious, but it was something I was certainly prepared to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, this all of this coincided, by the way, uh, with the, the entire OxyContin escapade, you know, so uh, I was, I can honestly say uh, there was never a time that while I was using the OxyContin and was at TNA that I did not fulfill every one of my jobs uh, that I ever had to be asked to do a, some, something twice. Uh, the backstage interviews that I was doing that, that the backstage interviewing segment, we never had to do retakes. Uh, if we did do a retake, it was because the talent uh, slipped up on something. Um, but, you know, I was I was certainly in a very bad place in my life, uh, personal life, and I think it was part of what was feeding the Oxycontin. Uh, but the, the, the TNA, it, 
you have to understand TNA at that time. And I, you know, I don't know what became of it after I left her. I can't imagine that it suddenly went, you know, and did a 180. Um, but it was a glorified independent company. You know, there was, uh, you know, as far as like talent relations, there there wasn't an office. Uh, it wasn't like there were, you know, uh, weekly status meetings on who we were talking about bringing in or, or firing or reprimanding for something. Um, it was just the, like the type of thing where you'd get together for the production meeting and then either before the production meeting or after the production meeting, uh, Dixie or Jeff would come to, to me and say, oh, by the way, we need to do this or that or you know, give this person a call or go talk to that wrestler. Uh, very, very, very informal, uh, like, a, like an independent company. Um, you know, and I tried to put systems in place, uh, you know, sort of systematize the whole thing, um, I, which I think Terry Tanner later after I left uh, had a little more success at doing. Um, but, you know, it was, you know, it was a company being trying to run like in a competitive mode against Vince, which was a laugh. Uh, but their sense of doing that, at least from my perusal, was that it was them saying it and doing nothing. You know, you walk into Titan Towers, right? And we, any of us that have, you walk in there and as much as I dislike the product, it is an impressive business. You know, you walk into that building and you can tell, uh, you can feel it in the air that everybody in that building is doing something. Um, and that there, you know, are layers of bureaucracy. Uh, it's like a, like a smaller version of the federal government, I guess. Uh, TNA was, we had an office in uh, uh, one of the universal uh, uh, buildings, uh, sound stages. But it wasn't a dedicated office. Like we shared it with the, like other, like a sort of like a, uh, whoever has the building tonight gets to use that office. Um, uh, Bob Ryder was most of the time in there. And the first thing he would do when he'd get there for a taping would be he'd have to go in there and set up his computers and you know, do all that. I mean, it was a, it was a glorified independent company. There, there was, there was no, uh, you know, real uh, uh, form to it. Other than, you know, uh, winging it, you know, then winging it became like a mantra in, in TNA. And that's funny. You mentioned that about Titan Tower. I mean, it is like a, you know, <laughs> it's one of those Disney World ish moments when you go into yeah. that lobby and you kind of take a look around. And you say, you know what? Wow. Like, okay, this is impressive. And even though, you know, you were in WCW, you were in, you know, the the CNN Center. You know, that was also obviously an impressive building but oh, then yeah. wcw was then out in basically just a generic office park you know and uh they kind of downgraded their facilities and then tna i mean yes they i believe at some point they had offices in nashville but you guys were essentially just showing up and you were in trailers or you guys were basically you're in a theme park you know you're you're just using sound stages that are not being used at the theme park so it's got to be an interesting you know, kind of dynamic, but kind of mentioning in there that you did the the backstage interviews at the time as a fan and watching it, it was cool to see somebody like yourself doing that because we felt, it felt legitimized, you know, you, wow, this is this big star here. Now he's doing these interviews, but knowing you were also in the talent relations department, working with the talent, 
both on camera and then off the camera, I think that almost helps that talent. So you look at a guy like Bobby Roode, who uh, had the you know proverbial almost a rocket attached to his behind. Uh, somebody like him could be sitting there with you on an interview and you'd be helping him in front of the camera, but then you're helping him in the back. So I know it's kind of an interesting role for you at that point. Yeah. And and, as all times with, with small companies or fledgling companies, uh, everybody's wearing multiple hats, you know? So as the day sort of goes on, you start off doing task A, then you move to task B, task C, task D, uh, you know, they, one of one of my other jobs that was not seen on camera was I uh, in in that uh, it might not even been the, the the sort of office. It was I think maybe one of the side rooms. Uh, we had a camera set up, and I would take guys like AJ Styles and Bobby Roode uh, in there, and I would say, okay, give me a, a ninety second promo on Ric Flair on. Stone Cold Steve Austin, as if that talent was working with that, you know, person. And, you know, I didn't give them talking points, certainly didn't give them a teleprompter, I gave them what I always had, a camera lens. And we would film it and then go back and watch it. And, you know, explain the finer points of inflection and where to lull, uh, you know, where to let something breathe. Um, you know, we did that, you know, that was, that was a part of that right along with kind of relations. But I, I, I pushed for that. That wasn't given to me. I pushed for that because I could see a lot of the guys were having trouble. We were doing the backstage interviews. Uh, you know, and to me, that always came easily. Um, not that I didn't have to work at it, but it always, I felt comfortable doing that. And to me, the guys in TNA and women, looked very uncomfortable, very unnatural on camera. Not all of them, but, but, but a big chunk of them. And so I, I took that on. And uh, I want to say that we did that for six months or so. And then it became a real problem because of the, again, the winging it. Uh, you know, I would want to take, you know, say Bobby Roode, for instance. And, you know, we'd be heading towards the, the sort of uh, office room to do that. And uh, he would get called away to go talk about a finish or get called away to go do something else. Or, you know, there, there were always, you know, 27 people, you know, pulling in different directions because none of those 27 knew what the other 26 was doing. And it just very, very discombobulated and disjointed. Uh, and, and it was that, that really at that point, you know, when I first went to TNA in 2005, uh, and then you know, the, the Panda Energy car, uh, Bob Carter and, and uh, you know, the Panda Energy company getting behind it. I thought, you know, we were on spike. Uh, we had a very talented dressing room. I thought we had a real chance. You know, this, this was an opportunity that I knew wouldn't, you know, that, that we wouldn't get 10 chances at, you know, that we had to, to make it and hit it hard uh, and really define ourselves uh, a separate away from, you know, it's uh, it couldn't be like ECW because ECW had already been done. It couldn't be uh, like WCW because that had already been done and failed. Uh, and it certainly, my, my first uh, meeting with Dixie Carter was to, in no way, shape, or form, attempt to be WWF2, WWF Junior, WWF Light, because that's already been done. And you're never going to out Vince, Vince at being Vince. So be the uncola. You know, fun, and it's you know you go back and look after that. 
uh, it became, you know, like a, a D grade cheeseburger version of the WWE. Um, a, they, they don't have nearly the production capacity. Uh, there was one segment, I, I think, I can't remember if it was Hogan or Sting. I think it might have been when Hogan debuted. And they had the the smoke, you know, all the fireworks and stuff going off. And then for like the next 10 minutes on the show, you couldn't see a damn thing. Because, hmm. <laughs> you know, with all the pyros, some the brain surgeons that set that up didn't think about the idea that maybe in this enclosed space, we might need to have uh, fans and something to vent that smoke out. And so you go back and watch that. And it's like those types of things when you see it, when you've seen the business like I've seen it for as long as I've seen it. And, you know, you go to a WWE taping and, you know, they've got, you know, six or eight, you know, soundproof booths set up so you can be doing six or eight people doing promos at one time. Uh, you know, just la- you know, layers and layers of everything going on, you know, self-contained air conditioning units and, you know, four or five semi-power trucks. And it's an impressive production. And then you see that in TNA and you slap your forehead. You know, like, <laughs> we, we can pretend all we want. Uh, you know, but even with that, it was my belief and my feeling that ultimately what what gets, you know, weighed in, in, the, in the equation, comparison equation, is what happens inside the ring. And, you know, I was positive in that sense that we could make an, make an impact. And then, again, you see, like I said earlier about Bobby Roode, you, know, you have a guy like that with all that skill, with all that instinct. Um, and we have him getting beaten by a guy in a chicken outfit. Nothing against Eric Young. Uh, I'm just talking about the optics of it. You know, you break this guy off, he's clearly ready for the catapult. And uh, you do that to him. Um, you don't get a second chance to make that first impression. Uh, and, and, you know, you can go on and on and on with example after example after example of just how badly TNA missed it. And, you know, ultimately what it sums it all up is half a billion dollars wasted. Um, you know, it's, it's a stunning amount of money. And with all that talent, with what I thought at the time was the best outlet uh, for professional wrestling, Spike, um, you know, with Panned Energy behind it, with the the talent in the dressing room, with the talent in the office. I mean, let's face it, Jeff Jarrett, uh, you know, we can all talk about what flavors, you know, some like, you know, some like vanilla, some like chocolate, some like pistachio, Uh, you know, uh, but Jeff has been around the business for an awful long time and certainly knows what it is he wants to do. Um, Vince Russo, uh, you know, you look at his resume, right? And there's certainly things that stand out on that resume, you know, like those monster numbers uh, of which he was a part of in the ratings when the ratings were as massive as they were. Um, You know, you look around that office at that time, you know, Terry Taylor, Shane Douglas, uh, there was a considerable amount of experience sitting in that, in that uh, office and then with all that, the final epitaph is half a billion dollars flushed down the toilet and nothing to show for it, other than helping launch the careers and, and create the stars that would soon to go, be to go to WWE. Um, not exactly what I would want to spend my half a billion dollars on, but, you know, what the hell would I know? <laughs> it's just, hmm. uh, 
it, it, it was it was an effort and it, it was a uh, an education and in, in, uh, uh, frustration. You know that you'd get there and it didn't matter. You know it's it's like you know you see someone get ready to throw a bucket of piss in your face and you tell everybody to duck and nobody does except you. Um, you know you can already bitch afterwards that you got piss in the face. Uh, and that was TNA. I mean, it really was uh, an education in, in futility, uh, and 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 a shame uh, that it happened that way. Because I honestly believed that with all those assets that I mentioned earlier, there's no reason why TNA is not still on uh, a, a very good outlet, still not competing strongly, much stronger than it ever did with Vince. Uh, and instead, you know, it's, what is it now on, uh, PBS or public access someplace? Uh, you know, it's, it's a shame because there's, there's an awful lot of talent out there. Uh, great young talent that needs some place to, uh, to get in. Thank God, like AEW coming, right? They were going to, we where to get another try at this, you know, but again, you'll get one chance to make that first impression. Hey, let's pause for one second and remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher 70% organic and available in three delicious flavors including fudgy mocha latte salted caramel macchiato and peanut butter mocha my personal favorite now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real ethically sourced ingredients so if you want more information head on over to www.eatyour.coffee as well as follow them on Instagram follow them on Facebook follow them on Pinterest and follow them on Twitter and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars we talked about a little bit about how that role that you had there as talent head of talent relations you didn't hire you didn't fire that wasn't really a part of the role you did focus on the employees if you will the wrestlers the 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 guys that are you know going out there and cutting those promos and wrestling and you know doing the basically your your kind of nurturing them but you're also in charge of certain aspects of talent relations whether it be um going over contracts with certain wrestlers um when they do get hired you know you're kind of nurturing them or they do get fired you might have to let them know that they're getting fired what's kind of the relationship with dixie and jeff jarrett at this point as you're kind of the liaison between them and the wrestlers they, uh, it was a strange relationship from my, from where I stood, uh, when they were around each other, uh, you know, the, the real kinship, you know, is you thought they were, you know, on the same talking points when they weren't around each other. Uh, it was, you know, <laughs> you almost feel like you're doing like the, uh, the Hollywood expose, right? You know, you're, you're telling you the dirt about the you know, things that went on backstage, uh, it seemed to me from the comments that each of them made to me about each other uh, was that there was not a lot of respect there. Um, 
you know, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that bleeds through the office, right? If, you know, if, if, if the two of them are standing there together and saying, okay, everybody let's push in this direction, everybody sort of goes along with that. But if one shows up at 9 a.m. and the other one shows up at 11 a.m. and then one says push and the other one says pull, uh, now you have camps being created, you know, and then you always had a whole lot of people in the middle that were afraid to do either because if I push like Dixie wants, and Jeff's going to be mad at me. If I pull like Jeff wants, the Dixie's going to be mad at me. And it, 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 honestly, it was, you know, I should write a book about my experience there because mm. it was, it was a real, uh, it was a real clusterfuck and a shame for that. I, 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 what my hope was constantly was that Bob Carter would somehow come swinging down from, from his perch and apply his business acumen because, I mean, let's face it, the guy's incredibly successful. And I'm <laughs> I'm going to go way out on the limb here and say that I doubt he runs Panda Energy anywhere near like TNA was run. Unfortunately, we never saw that. Early on, when they first took over, uh, Bob and Todd Carter, uh, Dixie's brother, and their wives and their families came by all very personable, uh, very friendly, very personable, I always said about Bob Carter, if you just ran into him in a, in a bar someplace, you'd think he was a, you know, a ditch digger or something. A very down-to-earth, uh, common guy, um, very likable. Uh, and they, they came for, I don't know, the first five, six, seven, eight, nine tapings. It was uh, for a matter of months they were there. And then the last time they were there, uh, they said that they wouldn't be coming regularly, that they may pop in. Uh, I never saw Todd again after that. I think I saw Bob Carter one time after that. Um, very hands-off after, uh, you know, after that initial period. And, you know, I kept, uh, you know, from my, from where I said, I kept hoping that one or both of them would show up and, and start to instill some of that and energy acumen, uh, into TNA and it never happened. So basically Terry Taylor replaces you. Who did you replace when you got the role? Uh, God almighty. Well, you're really pressing me. I mean, I, I already came up with the Pittsburgh emoji, right? Uh, mm-hmm. right, right. Uh, I cannot remember. Uh, but there were, uh, here was the crazy part. Um, there were people that were working there who I had never met. And, and here's how I learned that. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm searching for the name in the back of my head. Um, Nick, uh, Busick, uh, blacktop bully. Uh, at the time he was, he had been working for the, uh, the Mountaineer, uh, racetrack. Oh gosh, about 20, 20 plus years at that point. He was like the number two guy at the place. And, they were Pittsburgh was one of the areas that we had really strong ratings when back when they were doing the Wednesday night pay-per-views Pittsburgh was one of the few areas that they had really pretty solid ratings in and Bob Carter had sent message to me that that they wanted to start running live events and they wanted to start in Pittsburgh because of the strength of the ratings there so I went out and looked and, and you know the buildings in Pittsburgh proper uh, wouldn't have worked. It was too prohibitive because uh, Pittsburgh, uh, the, the actual city of Pittsburgh, has a 10% uh, amusement tax off the gross. 
So that that wiped Pittsburgh off the map as far as Pittsburgh proper. Uh, the Golden Dome, where we had done the pay-per-view in 97 for ECW, the November to Remember pay-per-view, was a little bit too big. Uh, about 5,000 people it holds, uh, maybe a little better. Uh, I think for the 97 pay-per-view, it was like 5286 or something like that. Uh, beautiful, perfect building, but it was just a little bit too big uh, for what they wanted for those for just starting out in the marketplace. So uh, Nick had contacted me and said that you know that if we ever did any shows or house shows, and if so, they'd like to have some there. So I went and met with Nick, and, and Nick put together. Uh, he just passed away, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but bless his heart, he put together an incredible, incredible deal for us. Uh, the building at the time of uh, HBO Boxing, HBO uh, was doing their fights, some of their fights from there. It was a perfect building set up with all the lighting grids, and uh, it was, uh, I want to say, like a four or 5,000-seat place, but they had a movable curtain where they could cut it down to like 1,500, 2,300, like some segment like that. And they were going to give us that building rent-free, and uh, give us rooms for all of the crew and all of the talent. Uh, the only thing we had to pay for, I think, was security, if I'm not mistaken. All told, it was going to be end up being like $1,800 for everything, for the, for the hotel rooms, for the building, for the lights, for the sound, security, everything was going to be like $1,800. Uh, it, and it might have even been less than that, but it was a, a pittance basically free if you look at it and uh all they wanted was that we make two talents available for so many hours per day to sit and sign autographs and take pictures in the casino so they they heard of the contracts didn't cost us a dime for even the contracts they did all that and i took this back and uh gave it to dixie after one of the production meetings you know, thinking like, boy, they're going to really pop on this, right? This is an incredible deal. I mean, the hotel rooms alone for the crew and the wrestlers would cost you 20000 uh, you know, and, and all the rest of it. So, I mean, this is like an incredible, incredible deal. And uh, when I go to hand it to her, she says, she asks what this is. And I told her, and she looked at me like, like I was speaking Greek to her. And she said, give that to, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, that's where I said, who the hell's that? <laughs> I'd never heard this guy's name, never seen him, uh, never was introduced to him. Um, and I had, I think Bob, uh, 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 I just said a second ago, Bob Ryder, uh, is who took me and introduced me to this guy, uh, Andy, Andy Barton, Andy Barton was his name. And, uh, took me and introduced me to him i'd never met the guy i'd never seen the guy he was never in a production meeting uh, i never saw him in any of the hallways never had to interact with him on any level not as a talent not as talent relations not as an announcer not as an agent nothing never met this guy i gave it to him and nothing ever came of it and you know nick kept calling me and saying you know same now nick and i have been friends but he was one of the first guys I ever met breaking into wrestling and uh, 
but I felt like a real shithead. You know, this guy was a friend of mine that had really busted his ass to get us an incredible deal. And I hand this off to this Andy Barton guy. Uh, who, and I don't think after that I ever had any interactions with him after that either, as I'm sitting here th- talking about it. And, uh, you know, again, that was TNA. <laughs> Looking back on it, it was just so typical for TNA. Uh, hardly the, what you, you know, if you, if you were a little mom and pop ice cream stand, you wouldn't run it like that. Uh, let alone a company that's ostensibly telling the world that they're the number two wrestling promotion in America. You know, I guess that's because there's, there's only one, you know, so right. Any, anybody can be the second. So the exit from the position, like when you left the position, is that something that you say, ah, I had enough. There's too much craziness going on here. I don't want the position anymore. Or is that the position that they say, Oh, you know, we're going to take you out of it. How did that whole exit of the position go? The exit came whenever I left the company. Um, I had, you know, gone um, into the rehab and, you know, Dixie had given me her blessing and you know, told me to get well and all, you know, all the stuff you're supposed to say, whether you mean it or not. Uh, and she didn't. Um, when I got out of the hospital, uh, I got home and, you know, you're pretty rough time physically. You know, you're you know, pretty heavy fog and stuff after you get off that crap. And I get home and there's a stack, like six inch stack of bills. And I said to my ex-wife, uh, you know, why are these not paid? Because Dixie told me whenever, you know, uh, you know, when I approached her about going and, and doing this rehab, uh, she told me, well, we're going to continue to pay. We need you to get well, you know, that kind of thing. So the whole time I'm in the hospital, I'm assuming that my checks have been coming and, you know, my ex-wife at the time, still married at the time, she she was afraid to tell me anything like this and cause any more stress while I was in the hospital. And when I called Dixie and I asked her, I said, uh, you know, Dixie, there must be some kind of mistake because uh, my wife is telling me that she's gotten no checks while I was in the hospital. And, you know, she, one thing about Dixie, she's very much like Vince in the sense that, you know, when you're talking to her, she's, she's got a strong voice. And, you know, very professional. And when I called her, I was out of the hospital, you know, and we're talking and everything's fine until I asked you about the money. And then she sort of mumbled something under her breath. You know, I just said, mumble something under her breath. You know, she's like, like mumbling on the phone. And I said, uh, Dixie, you know, you told me you were going to pay me while I was off. In fact, that was the reason I left. But, you know, it was because I couldn't have afforded to leave and do what I had done. Had, had she told me she wasn't going to pay me and she tried to deny to me, she, she basically lying to me. I know what the woman said. Um, and had later proof of it with Terry Tedder because Terry Tedder had told me that he was asked to fill in for the backstage interview, uh, position and was told, uh, you know, at, when they asked him to do it, he was told he'd be paid nothing additional because they were going to continue paying me. And so that's why Terry filled in in the backstage area. Uh, you know, for a company that, in hindsight, dumped 500 billion plus or 500 million plus into that company, uh, that I had to fight them on rental cars, you know, $50 rental cars. And then this thing with the, uh, when I was at rehab, and it really ticked me off. But when I came back, um, 
she approached me. I was pissed off about the about the money thing, but again, it's my job, right? And she said uh, that uh, what's his name, uh, um, Ross Sloan, was writing for the uh, you know the, the TNA online, and she said uh, you know it's your private life, um, you know if you want to talk about it, you know Ross would you know like to do an interview with you. If you don't. We're fine with that. You know, it's your personal life, and we'll do whatever you want to do. And I said, uh, look, I've been a big mouth about everything in my career. If I don't talk about this publicly, it'll leak out at some point and give the impression that I'm embarrassed about what happened. Uh, I wasn't embarrassed. It was a drug that the doctor prescribed to me. It wasn't like I was out doing street drugs and, you know, I got hooked. So I wasn't embarrassed of it. I certainly wasn't proud of it, but I wasn't embarrassed of it. So I thought, you know, if I can help, my thought was, and I think I said this in the interview. If there's one person out there that I can help learn the dangers of that oxycontin, then it'll be worth it. And we sat down. We did like a three-hour interview. Uh, you know, did this long, long talk. And, and I think he called me later in the week and got some follow-up information on, on some things that I had said. And uh, that was... It was a couple months later, uh, after I'd done the interview, uh, right before Christmas, uh, Bob, Bob Ryder calls me and tells me that Dixie's given me time off. And that was her spineless way of saying I was fired. And, uh, you know, just, again, completely typical for TNA. Uh, you had a guy that was doing all of his jobs, and... You know, and then that happens too. And the thing, the reason that pissed me off so much was uh, we had just had Caden was just born uh, months before this happened. And uh, she had just had a daughter. And, and she and her husband had gone through similar things that me and my ex-wife had with infertility. And uh, so we were always talking about every time I see her, she asked me how Connor was doing on her. Uh, how's the baby doing? Uh, you know, and I'd ask her about her kids and, you know, the, the, show the pictures, the whole routine, right? And like two weeks before Christmas, uh, I get this phone call from Bob Ryder. And I thought, you know, it, you know, at least have the cojones to make that call yourself and at least have the, the stones, you know, if you want to be an executive, to explain to me what it was. And uh, what I would later learned was that my good friend Terry Taylor had gone in and told them that I was using again, which was a flat-out lie. Uh, and you know, she would have learned that if she had called me, but she didn't have it. She was an executive that didn't have the stones to be an executive. So, uh, and, and all that you know, ended at the same time. Now, have you ever talked with Terry Taylor about any of that, or is that kind of just... Yeah, you move on, it's just one part of the business, and you just kind of keep the ships moving in each of your individual directions. Me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I saw Terry Taylor one time, and it was a high-buy thing. You know, I was at the time I was working at Crossfire uh, on that night. I mean, I was working with Crossfire and helping Marcus Pistorius with the booking on that and was pretty busy with that, and he was standing there like, like, waiting for somebody to talk to him, you know, like standing there like in the middle of, a, of the arena, like just uh, 
smile on his face when I thought, you know what, I'd, I'd love to go over and kind of promo on you right now, but I'm too damn busy. And so I'm like, hey, how you doing? Just kept, you know, just kept walking. It was, uh, uh, I, I, I don't go for stuff like that. And I think that's one of the reasons that our business is able to be run the way that it's run is because, you know, it's, you just sit back and you wait for the guys to start stabbing each other in the back because it's going to happen. And the end result of it is they all think that it's going to be their their way into the pot of gold. And, you know, obviously the Terry Ketter didn't, didn't turn into that. Um, you know, it's, you know, sort of sad up cap. But I, to me, I think, you know, it's, it's like my mother used to say, you know, you take a, a jerk and give him a billion dollars. What do you have? You have a jerk with a billion dollars. Uh, you take <laughs> a guy that shows his feathers like that. And you think suddenly tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, he's going to become an honest, sincere friend. Uh, probably not. And look, I understand that Terry was at a stage of his life where, you know, his career was pretty much out of his hands. Uh, he had two special needs sons at home and a, and a wife who was dying at the time. I get self-preservation, but to make up that kind of a story uh, for somebody who I'd looked up to and learned from, uh, you know, didn't sit well with me. It still doesn't. Uh, to me, I, I think it's a piece, he's a piece of shit. Now, did you say the feathers thing because of the red rooster, or is that just me looking too much into it? You know me too well, don't you? Because <laughs> I was going to say, was he standing there like a rooster with his head cut off? But you said feathers, <laughs> so I thought rooster. So I don't know, maybe we were playing off the same vibe there. <laughs> me too. Take a little inside, a little jab at somebody. Never. <laughs> well, wrestler's he, honor. Well, he might have been a rooster, but he sure did act like a chicken. So I'll just, uh, I'll leave it. <laughs> I'll leave it at that with uh, with Terry Taylor. But yeah, no, that was a great look into uh, that time of your career, Shane. I mean, I know you went through a lot of trials and tribulations, but you know the fact that a lot of knowledge isn't out there about that time frame is uh it's really cool that you're able to uh, open up and and share a lot of that with us tonight so you know as uh, always we always appreciate that you share this much on the show and i do it out of love <laughs> i'm a love i'm a loving type of guy you really you know what you really are that means a lot but hey listen it was a fun show this week and we are going to uh, head towards the wrap up here we got a little bit of uh, housekeeping to do we are only 1 week out of the big WrestleMania weekend Shane will be at WrestleCon and he will then be joining us at Markout at the Meadowlands which is at the Meadowlands Plaza Hotel on Sunday morning April 7th from 10 a.m to 2 p.m. Uh, litany of pro wrestling stars will be in attendance. You can go to matmcon.com for information on that. But Shane, the WrestleCon deal of a lifetime, very limited, featuring four ECW champions, the Sandman, Mikey Whipwreck, Jerry Lynn, and yourself. Uh, quite the deal where it's a nice, nice little package, and it's all kind of tied up there. But if they head over to, I believe, uh, the bookings email, which I don't know if you want to give that out here, uh, they can reserve their spot at WrestleCon if they're coming in for a very limited opportunity to get a photo op with uh, and autographs from the four ECW champions. Correct. Yeah, we, we're, doing, we're doing something different this year. It's something new that we haven't tried before because, you know, at those WrestleCons, you can get, you know, 
uh, you know, a lot of people in line and, and uh, you know, a lot of bottlenecks. So we've decided to put our stuff on pre-sale. So, you know, if, uh, you know, Joe Blow wants to buy a T-shirt or one of the original ECW posters signed, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, whatever it is, we've got a bunch of stuff up, up on photo opportunities, et cetera. <clears throat> you save a considerable amount of money, $10 on a T-shirt, for instance. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm probably going to $10, $20 on the posters. But by pre-ordering it and pre, you know, buying it on the pre-sale, uh, all the stuff I'd posted on Twitter, uh, you can bypass the line, come right up and pick up your merchandise, uh, you know, get your photo op, uh, that sort of thing. And, you know, we're, we're just doing that just to try to expedite the process for ourselves because, uh, you know, there's been multiple times at WrestleCon when, it, you know, it's, you guys have been there, you've seen it gets pretty thick. And, you know, you'll see people standing there for, 10, 15, 20 minutes and then end up walking away because they have to go get in line for somebody else's autograph or they get bored of standing there or whatever. And so uh, we're doing the pre-sale. We've gotten a huge response on it. In fact, on the on the posters, uh, after I posted that today, uh, uh, Moose uh, Chris called me, texted me earlier actually, and said that they had a sort of shitload of those today online. So the stuff that's online that I put on Twitter, and I'll, I'll repost it again tomorrow. Uh, if you're interested in saving some money, interested in saving some time of standing in line at WrestleCon, uh, the, the information's on the posts themselves. Uh, go there, pre, you know, pre-buy your stuff, and you can go have a lot more time to spend at somebody else's booth. But uh, uh, so far, we're you know we're, we're really happy with. But the way things have gone, and like I said today, those, those posters, uh, he didn't tell me exactly how many sold, but he said a shitload. So if you're interested in one of those posters, I wouldn't wait uh, too awful long. Get on there and get it bought because we've got them uh, unsigned, and then we have a very limited number that have been signed. Uh, I, buy, I know Sandman, Whipwreck, Lynn, and myself. But then I think Francine has signed them. Uh, I think there's a lot of others on there that are signed as well. Uh, it's more than just the four. So, uh, you know, quite a keepsake. Those are the original ECW posters. I found those whenever I was moving into my uh, new place and had a closet full of shit, you know, boxes that I hadn't really been in for years. And I saw this one long box about, I don't know, four or five inches, uh, thick, you know, but long, you know, like a big, like this awkward shape. I'm like, what the hell's in that box? All the way to the top of my closet, I pulled it down, I opened it up, and they were the original ECW posters. They're not reprints, original ECW posters. So, uh, anybody that's interested in grabbing one of those, get on there and, uh, you know, on my Twitter and uh, get the information and get on there and pre-order and, like I said, save yourself some money, save yourself some time. Yeah, absolutely. Get on that. And again, it's Mikey Whipwreck, Jerry Lynn, the Sandman and Shane at WrestleCon. And uh, it's going to be a great weekend of a lot of wrestling. Looking forward to it. I'll be heading up on Saturday in time for our show on Sunday, which every single day, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, even while we we're recording this show tonight, received an email from uh, the agent of somebody who wants to be uh, in attendance at this show. So it's very cool to see how uh, the WrestleMania weekend 
comes about. We actually, here's another guy, Shane, another guy from your past. We just announced tonight, Marty Janetti will be in attendance now. At Mark out at the Meadowlands, your former uh, part-time rocker <laughs> tag team partner. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's so cool. And it's, it's coming together real fast. And sooner or later, you know, it'll be over. We'll be talking about the big show in May, but I don't want to overload everybody right this second with all that information. Right. Uh, but I will say this before we wrap up for the evening. Now, John and I had a little uh, back and forth earlier today. He wanted to play a little rib and talk about uh, favorite ECW champions. But then I kind of flipped the script. I put up a poll on Twitter of your who is your who is the greatest ECW champion? Okay, it's a very generic question, but I gave four options. I'm not going to tell you who they were. I gave four, unless you go on and see it yourself. I'm going to let you be surprised. But I gave four options. I put five days on the poll, and uh, the results are, are quite interesting. And when the results are finished, we're going to have a nice discussion here on the show about that poll. So just to kind of wet your whistle on uh, a topic coming forward here on the Triple Threat Podcast. The well, great what? I do have a question to ask. Uh, is, is there something set up like if, if uh, somebody goes on and votes, can they vote again or can they only vote one time? It's a one-time vote. It's a one-time vote. Okay, so one, well, you know, I'm telling you that right now, Raven is busy as hell. If you try to reach him, he won't reach him. <laughs> he's busy registering a bunch of new URLs and email addresses so that he can get get a uh, more votes in <laughs> doesn't prevent that 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 you could do that all day long but yeah quite the uh and i even because it only gave you a few spots to to give choices so i i made sure i got four names on the poll and then underneath it i i almost did it like honorable mentions and i put a little gif of each guy who i would have liked to have put on the list but you're only given so many spots that you can use. So uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation. We've already got a few uh, little comments coming in. So uh, we'll look forward to that when that poll is completed and uh, like how it all gets kind of put together there. So that'll be coming soon to the triple threat podcast. Shane, where are you going to be this weekend uh, doing your thing, getting ready for a little WrestleMania WrestleCon mark out at the Meadowlands weekend next week. What's going on in the franchise world? Yeah, the, 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 the franchise is really, really. And I'm, and I'm not joking. I'm, I'm not being like sort of sarcastic. I'm shooting. Uh, Going to be really, really torn this weekend because I will be at the Ivan Koloff Classic. Wouldn't miss it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I always loved Ivan. Uh, was one of those first guys I met in the business that just was a just a really sweet guy. You know, just a fantastic guy. Uh, still miss him, um, but they do the Ivan Koloff Classic every year down there, and I'll be part of it. But the reason I'm torn, uh, because Kiss will be playing in Pittsburgh for Ooh. the last time on the same night. So, uh, you know, my love for Ivan is a little bit more, but I'm going to, you know, part of my head and my heart's going to be back in the burg as I'm in North Carolina because, uh, just playing that, that that last concert here, man. I'm I'm really proud. Here's the rib on it. I've already missed two shows. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Detroit and uh, uh, Cleveland uh, or Columbus, rather Detroit and Columbus. Uh, my roommate from college, the could uh, be my attorney now, a judge up in Ohio, uh, had tickets to both, and both times were on Saturdays, and I was on the road. 
And I kept thinking, well, that's, that's cool because Pittsburgh's coming up, you know, on, on the 30th. And then I will be at the Ivan Kola Classic. So uh, <laughs> I will – and Wrestling Tommy Dreamer there. Oh, my so, gosh. Uh, yeah, so we're going to have a lot of fun doing that. And we're living some some fun. And I'm, you know, maybe getting another rib shot in on Tommy. But uh, uh, just a forewarning for the Ivan Classic. It's going to be a little part of the franchise. Still back in Pittsburgh and uh, – missing kiss again i mean this is like a ball buster for me so you're missing kiss you're facing tommy dreamer your nemesis you're uh you're pain in the backside all these years and again you're missing kiss so uh just remember uh when you're putting on that boot if there's something sticking in your ankle there a little bit just remember you can pull that out during the match if it uh <laughs> if it needs to free right. your 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 if it needs to free your ankle and you can just wrap that around your fist. I'm not saying you should do anything, well, but... Well, here's the thing now, because I will have a lot of friends that will be at the show in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's, it's, so, you know, like the old joke in our business, right, we don't get paid by the hour. Uh, so uh, maybe the, the chain in the boot might be a good idea, because the quicker I can get in that ring and get out, I can get back. And I can <laughs> at least watch the concert from Pittsburgh last ever with kiss uh on facetime so just saying hey do what you got to do somebody posted a uh picture from a few years ago of you and tommy and i wrote underneath i said uh somewhere <laughs> somewhere there's a chain hidden in this picture we just can't see it it's yeah. concealed someplace so that's a great yeah. uh, I love that. That's one of my favorite things ever. But also want to mention Tommy Dreamer did not make the list for the poll. So just going to throw that out there. <laughs> did, did Tommy ever hold the belt? He did. He, yes, he did very briefly and then lost it to, I believe, just incredible. So it was, I want, if it was in the same night, I don't want to be misquoted. Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it incorrectly if that's the case, but he did very briefly and then lost it. So, uh, that, that was that must have been after I left because I, yes. I have no recollection of. Uh, in fact, that was always like the sort of ribbon the company was. You know, Tommy was the top babyface in the company, uh, certainly one of them. Uh, but you know, never had the belt. Hey, sometimes those guys don't need the belt. You know, they uh, they do uh, just fine as the heart and soul. But we'll wrap it up for this week, and we'll talk about that poll when it's completed. And uh, we will get moving on here to another great episode next week of the Triple Threat Podcast. So, uh, Shane, I mean, that's enough. I mean, we got uh, Twitter if you want to hit us up, at the franchise SD, at Two Man Power Trip, at Wrestling Pal, and at the Three Threat Pod. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's enough for this week. Why don't you take us out in only the way the franchise can and get us on the road? This weekend, uh, the Ivan Koloff Classic, right down there in North Carolina. The franchise will be there, but a little piece of the franchise's art could be back here in the Bird for Kiss's last ever concert in Pittsburgh. So uh, just to forewarn the fans there in North Carolina. But listen, tune in next week or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.